Laura, if there's been an incident on the high seas, tell me why the Prime Minister didn't raise it with uh, President Xi, or did he, in fact? Philip, we don't know. He He's being a little bit evasive about it, or quite evasive about it, really. Um, now, uh, depending on your uh, various penchants, uh, you can see this as a reasonable um, uh, uh, decision not to uh, sort of talk about uh, personal conversations. Of course, this has been a subject of some controversy in recent political history, a la Scott Morrison and the French president, for example. Um, but um, unfortunately, I think for the Prime Minister, he sounds like he's being evasive and is, you know, leaves people with the impression that he didn't raise it with the uh, Chinese president, who he would have seen at the APEC meeting in San Francisco, San Francisco over the weekend. Uh, of course, he has a new mantra, cooperate where we can and disagree where we must. That's right. So uh, he's saying that um, he, he's condemned what has happened on the high seas where, these, where there was this sort of, shall we say, a sonar attack on divers from an Australian vessel trying to disentangle it from fishing nets. I should make the point that that's the, my reference to Toowoomba, the HMAS Toowoomba. Correct. We don't want to confuse people about it actually happening in Toowoomba, Philip. Um, so uh, he's um, he's said that, um, you know, this was, you know, a, a really bad thing to have happened and uh, not, you know, outrageous and all those sorts of things and that the, the Chinese shouldn't have done it. He hasn't said whether he raised it directly with President Xi, but he has said that it was raised in every possible forum that was available to Australia to raise it, which leaves open the possibility that he did raise it with the President but isn't saying that he did, but I think most people are reading it as he probably didn't, but lots of other people did. Not great to vacillate. Now, accusations are being levelled at the government that they're choosing economic security over national security. Well, um, uh, yes, those accusations are being made, but I think this is part of a bigger problem for the government now, Philip, which is... Um, whether it's this issue, whether it's um, whether it's uh, the, the question of um, of uh, immigration detention, all of these things, it's leaving this sort of general impression that uh, the government isn't on top of these things, isn't uh, sort of setting the terms of the debate, and uh, and that's being left to the opposition to do, uh, which it's doing with great alacrity wherever it can find a political opportunity. Is the government mounting a a, um, a persuasive argument or more vacillation? Uh, look, I think they're just stuck, Philip, uh, to be perfectly honest. I, I think, um, uh, you know, governments tend to have to be polite, whereas oppositions can go the rats, to use the colloquial expression, on matters of diplomacy. Um, and I think uh, Labor governments in particular try to observe the niceties and uh, and they're now being stuck, and they're being stuck in an environment where the context of all of these discussions leaves them vulnerable to this suggestion that they're not taking a tough line, which is what the coalition is pushing. You know, they're pushing this argument that the prime minister is, you know, being weak on this, and they're vacillating for the very reasons you're talking about. Um, I mean, I've got to say, the suggestion that, um, that the government might put economic interests first would be something that. In, 
other circumstances, people might actually think it was a good idea. But nonetheless, uh, I think they are really stuck because they don't seem to be quite sure how to assert what they're doing, be clear about it, and um, and sort of and you know uh, dare one say own the narrative. They are being basically pushed by the coalition all the time now. Before we uh, plunge further ahead, let's go back to the incident with the Toowoomba. I understand the divers were injured when the uh, Chinese Liberation Army vessel did something naughty with its sonar and at least their hearing has been hurt. So it, uh, it is a significant diplomatic matter. Well, look, it's a very significant diplomatic matter, Philip, not to mention a significant matter for the um, well-being of, you know, our service persons. Uh, and, of course, it comes, you know, after we've sort of watched the entire theatre of the Prime Minister's visit to Beijing less than a week earlier, I mean, this happened sort of through the course of last week, only days after he'd left Beijing. Uh, and, um, you know, it's it's it looks like a real, you know, thumbing the nose at all the language of uh, stabilising the relationship. Nobody's sure whether this is just some uh, rogue troops gone a bit feral or whether this was a deliberate move by Beijing to sort of say, well, you know, you might have thought you've got some advantages here, but we're just going to clarify exactly where you stand. Um, I I think the ambiguity of it is really damaging uh, for the government and, you know, does a lot to undo all of that work that was being put into looking like they'd got things back on track with Beijing. Now, let's go back to where we left off last week with this High Court decision and the government's in political water over the release of these uh, immigration detainees last week. Why was the government so ill-prepared? Well, there are all sorts of versions of why they were so ill-prepared, Philip. I think um, there there, there are sort of a couple of levels of this. One of them is the uh, theatre of it. One of them is the mechanics of it. You know, were they legally ill-prepared? Now, um, even... Over the weekend, you know, there were conflicting uh, accounts of what actually happened. Uh, Claire O'Neill, the Home Affairs Minister, uh, said on the television yesterday that she had been advised that um, that the uh, government lawyers were expecting to win the case at the centre of this uh, debate. Uh, now, others have said that there were clear signs that they weren't going to win and, in fact, statements from the government uh, over the last week have sort of said, well... They were putting in place preparations for the possibility that they weren't going to win, uh, which went to talking to uh, the various state authorities who would essentially be responsible for um, putting in place any uh, mechanisms under the uh, pre-new legislation regime, which basically were about imposing um, parole-like conditions on people's bridging visas. Now... Talking about parole, I remember last week I was going to suggest uh, ankle bracelets and apparently that's been one of the technologies that is deployed. But the opposition Home Affairs spokesperson, uh, James Patterson, is pushing the government to adopt their, quote, high-risk terrorist offensive framework. What does that uh, rather posh phrase mean? Well, it means... Uh, all sorts of things, Philip. But I, I think the interesting thing about James Patterson's position is it's slightly different from the slightly more feral position that the shadow immigration spokesman was putting last week, which is that 
the government should just lock them all up again, which uh, is pretty out there considering the High Court has ruled uh, actually you can't lock these people up indefinitely. Well, it's effectively said it's cruel and unnatural. It sounds like the Supremes in the US. Well, uh, whether it's cruel or unnatural, they've said it's unlawful, so they can't do it. So, you know, the starting point is you can't lock people up. Now, what we saw through the course of last week was uh, this legislation emerged. Uh, I think clearly the government was, uh, you know, whatever else happened, the government had been expecting that if um, the the court did rule against them, um, that they would have some time. I think they weren't expecting a decision until possibly early next year as a starting point, as as far as I can determine. Uh, and, And what particularly surprised everybody was the fact that the court said, you've got to uh, let them out now and we'll give you our reasons later. So I think the government misjudged um, the uh, time and scope they had to think about this Um, and I think uh, there's some suggestions they didn't realise that they were going to have to let quite so many people out, though that's also disputed. And Um, did they realise that some of these people were going to be really very naughty people? Well, they did. I mean, most of the people, well, the people who are in in this category have been assessed for a variety of reasons to be people you don't want out in the community. Now, um, that is, uh, but but it's complicated as we discussed last week because um, most of them, I think, as far as we can tell, most of them have been convicted of crimes in Australia. Not all of them have. Um, Some of them are really heinous crimes. Some of them are not necessarily crimes, um, you know, that involve sexual violence against children, which is, you know, the the centrepiece case. Uh, But, you know, there's a lot of um, motorcycle gangs um, and, you know, a lot of violence and generally unattractive people who, given that they're not Australian citizens, a lot of people would say, well, look, just, you know, we should just get them to rack off. But that is not an option because... Um, no other country will take them. They are our problem, just as other countries have this problem as well. So, you know, what do you do about them in these circumstances? And and it's and it is a very tricky situation, as we discussed last week. And um, but I suppose one of the interesting things that's sort of been overlooked in all of this, Philip, is that these those those people within this cohort who have been convicted of things have been. Uh, have been investigated by state authorities, by state police, uh, have been put in uh, court um, and prosecuted under state laws, and it'll be up to the states essentially to uh, keep an eye on them. But what's happened as a result of, you know, the political excitements of the last week is that the federal government has now become involved in a way I think it hasn't really been involved before in sort of putting in place punitive measures against individuals, which are usually the preserve of the states. And that's via this, these various mechanisms that have been agreed to by the major parties uh, to make mandatory things like um, ankle bracelets and the like. Now, the original proposal from the government was that they'd put in place these procedures and it would be up to the minister to, admit, you know, to impose them individually. The government just rolled over and played dead when the coalition said, no, that's good enough. The big question is, having pushed it that much further, how much of a, ri- politi- how much of a legal risk is there 
that um, the laws as they now stand will be open to challenge, particularly in an environment where we don't know what the High Court's um, findings and reasons are for making this judgment in the first place. Finally and briefly, one of the uh, 57 recommendations made by uh, Catherine Holmes in her role running the Robodet Royal Commission, one of them seems to have disappeared or in fact has been redefined by the government as a, quote, closing observation. Yes, Philip, this was when the um, when the government announced its, um, its uh, response to the Robodet Royal Commission last week. Uh, we had four ministers stand up and say that um, the recommendations were being adopted in full uh, when they were asked about the fact that there was this recommendation that a section of the Freedom of Information Act, which uh, went to the nature of cabinet documents, should be repealed. Uh, the Attorney-General said, oh, no, that was a final recommendation. It wasn't act- a, fi- a final observation. It was a recommendation and the government wasn't going to change them. Now, I sort of think this is pretty dodgy. Whether the government was ever going to change them is a moot point, but to misrepresent quite a clear recommendation from Catherine Holmes, I think, uh, does not speak well of the government, shall we say. And heavens above, we don't like not speaking well of governments, do we? Laura, thank you for that. Laura Tingle is, of course, Chief Political Correspondent at 7.30. Listen to more great stories that take you beyond the headlines. Ask your smart speaker to play ABC RN.